0: Let's go to John chapter 19. We've been uh, looking at the seven different sayings of Christ from the cross. They're very short in nature because um, a man on the cross was struggling to breathe. And in fact, uh, the death of the cross wasn't because of loss of blood, but it was from uh, asphyxiation. You'd have to, as your arms are held up, the pectoral muscles would begin to have problems and compromise and you'd have to push up to get pressure off your lungs to take a breath of air. And, uh, the Lord spoke very short sayings; He didn't give a long dissertation. And uh, up to this point, we've looked first of all at "Father, forgive them, for they know what, for they know not what they do." That the very first words of the Lord were concerned for the people uh, before Him, and uh, not for Himself. Or He wasn't rebuking people or cursing those. Then he said to the, the repentant thief, verily I say unto thee today, shalt thou be with me in paradise. And then before he, before he was concerned for himself, he was concerned for his mother. I think he wanted her to get her removed from the shame and the suffering that he was going through and he said behold woman! behold thy son uh, to John and to John behold thy mother and uh, it seems to indicate I believe that uh, John removed her from the cross last week we saw that from noon until 3 o'clock in the afternoon, there was a great darkness over the earth. Darkness is associated with judgment. Darkness here is as though God uh, pulled the shade on the world and something very personal is happening between God and man. And uh, as the sun begins to come back, Uh, Jesus cries, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani, which is interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And uh, he wasn't forsaken when he was tempted in the wilderness. Angels came and ministered to him. He wasn't forsaken just a few hours before this when he was praying in the garden and sweat as it were, great drops of blood and angels came to minister to him. But now God has abandoned him, turned his back on him, which is no place found in the Bible to turn their back. But uh, God is not coming to comfort or to aid and it's obvious that something's happened and the sins of the world has been placed upon Christ. And this morning we find the fifth saying here in our passage in John 19, and we'll begin reading in the verse 17. And he bearing his cross went forth to the place called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha where they crucified him and two others with him, on either side one and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This was customary to put up on the cross the, the, the crime that they were being punished for. They had no crime for Jesus and so they, he said, Pilate said, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city and was written in Hebrew and in Greek and in Latin. Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written And surely we see that the hand of God is all over what's happening. Then the soldiers, when they crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout. They they said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be that the scriptures might be fulfilled which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots, these things therefore the soldiers did. And of course you know when it says that the scriptures might be fulfilled, that was not part of the quote of uh, the soldiers, but that's showing the fulfillment of prophecy. Now they stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, wife of Clophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and disciples standing by him, whom he, cro- whom he loved, he said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour the disciple took her unto his own home. And so that's when it says that hour is why I believe that Mary was removed. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. In other words, I set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it up to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and bowed his head, and gave up the ghost. And so when you look at the harmony of the Gospels, you'll see that this seems to come in order that it was after "Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani," <coughs> that he says, "I thirst." Immediately, uh, we could conclude from these words, "I thirst," that Jesus indeed was a man. Uh, Old Testament talks about God said if He was hungry He wouldn't need to tell them you know He has a cattle on a thousand hills. But uh, here we see that He has the needs of a of a human being, that He grew thirsty and He probably from medically from the loss of blood He was thirsty, but He makes a statement that He thirst <clears throat> We know that not only was he a man, but he was also a God. And that's even going to be confirmed here in the gospel story, you know, the account of the crucifixion, because uh, the centurion is going to say, truly, this was the Son of God. And to to say that he's the Son of God implies something, not like we are the sons of God through faith, we the son of God, and it talks about the nature, you know, the nature of a horse is the horse, uh, I mean, this is not rocket science, A sheep, the nature of a sheep is to act like a sheep, and the nature of a man is a man, he can't change his nature, a man cannot change himself into any other kind of animal, well, the nature of God, to be of the, na- of the Son of God, he has to have the very nature of God. When I was born to my parents, I took upon the, their nature. They were, they were human beings, which defies evolution completely. But he was God. And we find in the beginning here of the book of John, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Look over in Isaiah chapter 9, a familiar verse, but I think that often familiar verses become uh, too familiar, and we don't let them sink in. But Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, we have a tremendous, tremendous verse in the Bible concerning Christ for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given note the words when you read passages he says a child is born but a son already in existence is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor the mighty God The everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And so this child is born, that was the Son that's in existence given, he is what? The mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. He's the Prince of Peace. Powerful, powerful verse for the deity of Jesus Christ. Yet we know also that his humanity is seen over and over in the Bible. When he's at the Samaritan, at the, at the well where, where the Samaritan woman comes, and he's resting, he's resting there because he grew tired. When all the disciples are on the boat and there's a big storm and they're fearful for their life, uh, Jesus is in the back of the boat sleeping because he grew tired. And here, in this passage, we find him saying, I thirst. <clears throat> now, I want to take a little bit of time uh, to explore this deity and humanity. Go with me over to uh, Philippians chapter 2. This is a passage that's been uh, Wrestled with by foolish men uh, for centuries. Just, just read the Bible and believe what it says. But this idea of he emptied himself, or he made himself of no reputation, has been: What did actually Jesus give up? If he humbled himself, became a man. The word "made himself of no reputation" means he emptied himself. What did he give up? What, what, what about him as far as his deity did he give up when he became humanity? Well, if you look with me here, uh, we're going to begin in verse 5 of chapter 2 of the book of Philippians. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is telling you and I that we have something to learn from Christ. And he said, I want this to be your mindset. I want to be, this to be your, your, uh, your M.O., your operation for your life. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The first word I want you to see here is in verse six, who being, the word being, this you know, uh, this means my existence. this is I'm a, uh, the being, the state that I'm in. Uh, it, it stresses my nature, that he was. Uh, he was it, the nature of God, his being. I'm a human being. He was a God being. He, 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 the, his being, who being in the form of God. And so Jesus was absolutely unalterable. He couldn't be changed. He's unchangeable God, who being in the form of God. And that word form is also important to understand it means to display what he is essentially uh, his nature his form Uh, it was it was sometimes it it was uh when we when we when when we use the word form you know in the english it's a we see it in a different way it's 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 uh, how we shape something. Well, we, you know, we form a piece of clay into a pot and we're going to uh, fire that. But in this case, th- this th- that's not the essential meaning of the word uh, in the original language. It's not necessarily a bad translation, but we need to understand exactly what it's saying. It's, it's kind of like... A, you, a, a king would have a signet, uh, uh, ring, and, and when he uh, impressed that into the wax to seal a document, the, the exact replica of the, of the ring would be imprinted into the wax. And so we're not saying here, it's not saying here that Christ was a form of god, but he's saying that he is the exact representation of God, who being in the form of God. So don't get this idea that somehow he came and, and he became uh, modified or he became shaped, but he's saying that, that exactly what God is, God the Father, the Godhead is, is what Jesus is. And so, who being in the form of God, and then uh, this word, it's this word, next word here, who being the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And that, that, uh, that is uh, another interesting word that I think that we often take, uh, I've understood it in a wrong fashion until this week. And I'm convinced that what I'm going to teach you is what is right. But it was like, it wasn't something, a robbery. Would, he didn't think it was robbery to be equal with God. That he, had, he didn't think he had to steal, steal it, still to be equal with God. Sometimes it means to seize, uh, I don't know if I spelled that right, To to grasp that he had to, grasped being equal with God but that's not that's not what it's saying uh it, it has a a portion of that but what it's saying is this is that that he didn't he didn't have to think that he had to cling to his deity that he had to hang on to it uh, and let me illustrate it this way uh, Here's a guy, and he's the foreman of the job. And, uh, and he, he wants to make sure that everybody knows that he's the foreman, and he's not going to, when here these men are struggling and they're trying to put together uh, this, whether it's building a building or whatever, they're trying to get the job done, he knows how to get it done, but he's sitting back there and saying, these guys got to understand I'm the boss, and I and I'm and, and I'm going to let them work at it. Unlike uh, George Washington, who one time was coming by and uh, on his horse, and these men were struggling to uh, get a tree lifted out of the road, and and the uh, sergeant there that was giving them helping them. Uh, I mean, what was over them, was just uh, berating them and telling them to get with it. And as Washington come by, he sees that he needs help and he climbs off his horse and he goes over and helps him. And uh, the sergeant thanks him for, for, for helping. He said, Hey, and he said, uh, he, before he left, he said, Anytime you need help, you just call me. And he said, Well, who should I ask for? And he said, Ask for George Washington. And the sergeant knew that, <laughs> that, well, what it's saying is this. It says that Jesus, being God, was willing to uh, give up all of his prerogatives and all of his rights and all that was due him to humble himself and become obedient to the death of the cross. Look what it says again. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And so, just a sidestep here. You know, we all have our pride. And we all think that I'm not going to stoop to do that. Virgin said, we'll never understand how far he came down to we understand how great God is. And he was willing to give up. He didn't want to, he didn't think that he had to keep his deity and his rights and his honor that was due him He didn't cling to that. He didn't grasp it. But he was willing to turn it loose and become a servant. And he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so when he says, I thirst, we see the culmination of him becoming uh, a man and remaining God. And so when it says here in this passage, and made himself of no reputation, and the word there means to empty himself, what did he empty himself of? Did he empty himself up of his uh, omniscience? Well, no. He saw Philip when he was still under the fig tree. He didn't give up his omniscience. Did he give up his omnipotence? Well, when the storm was raging, he said, Peace be still he didn't give up his omnipotence so what did he empty himself of what was he what was it that he gave over well i think the answer for us is found in john chapter 17 and john chapter 17 In verse 5, he says, Now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And so Jesus had had given up his glory, which, which corresponds with this, I was trying to get across this truth here, that he didn't have to, maintained his notoriety and actually gave up his glory that that, that comes in our mind. <laughs> I can't leave this little rabbit trail here, but it <laughs> comes in our heart. Those guys need to recognize who I am. They don't understand who they're dealing with. And uh, whether we're pastor or deacon or church member, uh, we're to humble ourselves like the Lord. Not necessary, we're not saying at all that we trample over authority. But we are saying here that Jesus set an example for us to not try to grasp and hold on to the fact that. We are who we are. Because you know who we are? We're sinners saved by grace. And it's by the grace of God that we are what we are. And so, when we're talking here about his, his uh, deity and his humanity, that he willingly came and a man and suffered as a man. At one time, uh, and some even today, there's this uh, out of, it's called Hellenistic ideas, Hellenism being uh, Greek, and the Greeks had this idea that, that everything ever thing ma- things that are material, that is, our it w- it with us, our flesh, it's evil. It's all evil. It's only it's only the soul that is good. And so into Christianity came this idea. That when Jesus went to the cross, it was, it, it was, it was, uh, he didn't, he didn't suffer in his entirety. He only, uh, he only appeared to suffer because the soul w- was divine, but the, uh, the, Flesh is evil. There was a heresy afoot in the Hellenistic world that Jesus didn't really come in flesh and blood, much less die a gruesome physical death on the cross. Flesh was of the evil realm, and they believed and could never that could never be holy. Only spirit was capable of divine. So Jesus didn't really die. He only appeared to die. He was only pretending. Well, John had to take that on. If there's any question about Jesus being deity, uh, John says over, go with me over the first John, that it wasn't just a spiritual thing, that it, it wasn't just the appearing to die. But in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 2, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come into place is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof we have heard that it could come even now already is in the world. And then over in 2 John uh, uh, and verse 7, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and Antichrist. They didn't deny that there was a spirit being that was inhabiting human flesh, but they said that, you know, he couldn't have inhabited real flesh because real flesh is where the problem is, and uh, he couldn't become sin. But nevertheless, he became a man, and he suffered as a man. And he's going to say in this passage... I thirst. Now, uh, we've talked about this on numerous occasions but it's because it's so uh, absolutely amazing. That God became a man. So here, here is my stick figure man He's sad because uh, he's got problems. He needs help, and uh, he knows that his only help is in God. And so he wants to approach, he wants to approach God. He wants help. He, He needs help. No man can help him. He needs help. So he wants to approach God, but but God says that he's too holy, he's too pure to look upon sin. And so he this is this is impossible. He cannot approach unto God because God couldn't even see him and look upon him and recognize him without destroying him. And so his other option is, well, I need help. I'll go and and uh, talk to a man. And another part of this aspect up here, you know is how can God know? Is God ever hungry? Does God have any needs? Does God ever lose sleep? How's God going to understand me? And so I go to this man and I say, Listen, I'm um, hungry. I can't find work. I've got this disease. And he relates all of his needs to this guy. And he says, help me. And he said, what? Am I God? (laughs) I can't help you. You think, I'm not supernatural. But what happened is, God became a man It was tempted in all points. When it says it was tempted in all points, it means to the ultimate. Uh... When we talk about sin, sin is kind of like, uh, sin is kind of like pain. When pain gets too much, we go into shock. There's only so much pain that you can take. There's only so much temptation that we can take without sinning. There's no temptation that be such a common man, but God is faithful that you're not tempted above that you're able you think you're going through some hard things, but he said, I'm not going to let any temptation come into your life that you're not able to overcome it by my grace. Well, when it says he is tempted in all points, that means that Jesus was tempted in every possible way. I mean, to, that as much as could happen, he was tempted, the, the greatest amount and the greatest intensity of sin was there and so I can I can go to this god man and he had he thirsted he understands me he needed sleep he wept he he uh, He can relate to me. And and so there's not this break here. And so he's the mediator between God and man. He understands. And so the great part about I thirst is this, is that I have a human being that understands my needs, but he's not a human being that can't help me. He's he's the God of the universe. That's why this verse is so powerful. Look with me over in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And verse 14, for as much then, Hebrews 2.14, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that he's flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage, For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, he wasn't a spirit being, but he took upon him the seed of Abraham, a human being. Therefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that Jesus, as he walked this earth, was just like me, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For he, for in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. And then go with chapter four and verse fifteen. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the filling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. All points. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We don't have to worry about approaching God. We could come now boldly to the throne of grace because Jesus became a man and died in our place. And so the fact that he took upon himself humanity is uh, a glorious Thing. Now, let's talk about again this word I thirst. There in John nineteen and verse twenty-eight. In John nineteen, twenty-eight, Jesus says. this and after this Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished that the scripture might be fulfilled saith i thirst now hold your place here and go over to Matthew 27 we're we're at Matthew 27 we're at the cross And verse 34, and here we find the great contradiction in the Bible. Let's just throw it out. They gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. Now what's the deal? Matthew said they gave him something to drink, he wouldn't drink. John says, he says, I'm thirsty. And they're going to give him something to drink from a sponge. What is going on here? We have have one of the great contradictions of the many contradictions of the Bible. And that this book is flawed. And you dumb Baptists say, this is our rule of faith and doctrine. just looking at your Bibles. You don't want to speak because you think I'm going to embarrass you, don't you? <laughs> all right. Well, let's, let's first of all note any differences. Is there any differences here? Huh? Oh, so it says, it uses the word gall. And, it, and, and where are we at in the progression of the cross in um, in Matthew. We're at the beginning. Vinegar and gall, gall is a, had a narcotic effect. Gall would ease the uh, pain. And Jesus, when he tasted it and realized that There was a narcotic-like substance there, wouldn't drink it. Why? Well, we can only speculate. But I, I think that somehow linked to that is the full payment for the sin of the world. that he wasn't going to dull the experience or dull the acceptance of the weight of the sin of the world. Now, in Matthew 28, or or in John 19 and verse 28, he's already spoken, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The sins of the world have been placed upon him. And part of what John says here is that there needs to be the fulfillment of a prophecy. That Jesus wanted to make sure that that prophecy was fulfilled. And look back over in Psalm 69. Psalm 69 and verse 21 They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Hmm. Well, we see that they gave him gall in Matthew 27. But he refuses it. Now what is this deal about the vinegar and stuff? Back there again in John chapter 19. And there was set a vessel, verse 29, there was set a vessel full of vinegar and they filled the sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it into his mouth. And when Jesus therefore said, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. What this was is that there was um, a drink, I was trying to look for a certain name here. There was a drink that the Roman soldiers had and other citizens of the country called Posca. And what it was, it was it was vinegar, mixed with water. And the reason that the Roman soldiers had that is that uh, the vinegar, it, it prevented scurvy. It also seemed to be good at quenching thirst. It also, this vinegar, also, (laughs) it was, uh, I don't know how to say this, it was like, uh, it, uh, let's say, I don't, this is not really technical, disinfected bad water. It also, uh it also, uh, it, it, uh, I don't know how to put this either, benefited the taste. Benefited. And that is that some of the water was nasty. And so they, they kept it with them. And they, they would drink it, and it was, it was uh, uh, the vinegar. You know, you need citrus type of stuff, but vinegar had ingredients that would prevent scurvy. It actually, it's kind of probably like drinking kombucha, except it wasn't, wasn't an alcoholic. But, but uh, that's why all you guys like kombucha. You think if you drink enough of it, you get a buzz off of it. Because it's not worth drinking, is it, really? I mean, you love the taste of it, don't you? You Baptist. <laughs> but what about the sponge? What in the world was a sponge doing at the cross? Well, a sponge was part of the kit that the soldier carried also. You know, they had those helmets that they wore, and they are along the Mediterranean coast, and there was plenty of sponges in the sea. And they would they'd pack their helmets with it so it didn't, didn't hurt so bad. But they also used it to drink, that they would fill a sponge in a pool of water and get water. And so here in this case, I mean, you can't lift a cup up to Jesus on the cross. And so they filled a the sponge with water and put it up to him, this water and vinegar mixture. And he took a drink. And so we find, how much time do I got here? I got a, a couple of rabbits I could run. Two minutes. Oh, this is rabbit's running fast. Oh, uh, uh, what happened here? Did you do that? Uh Chris said two minutes, and then somehow this comes up in my earphones with my hearing aids, setting the timer for two minutes and counting. That was me. You guys, all you guys, one day will be old. <coughs> all right, so what we see, uh, this one rabbit's is too long to chase, but what we really see in this passage is that. He became our substitute. In John chapter 4, the woman at the well, Jesus uses the illustration that there's a thirst in mankind that goes beyond the physical thirst. And the only thing that's going to satisfy that is, is Christ. And he experienced that. He experienced being forsaken of God. He experienced not having a relationship with God. And another place where it talks about thirst is over there in the book of Luke, when it talks about the man in hell lifted up his eyes and and was in thirst. And said, Can you just send Lazarus and have water on the tip of his finger? To quench my thirst. And uh, there's, a, there's going to be a thirst spiritually and seemingly physically in hell. Well, to what degree, I, I'm not certain, but I do believe in some fashion. Jesus experienced the thirst of hell and the separation from God and the desire for water. And he cries from the cross, I thirst. It fulfilled prophecy. It identified that he is a man. And as a God-man, he died in my place. And he experiences all that's involved in being separated from God in the present life and separated from God in eternity. The longing of the soul forever and ever and ever. You see, uh, in this life before before we're saved, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. But in hell, there's no goodness of God. And there's a lasting thirst in our soul and in the body that we have that will endure torture. Not torture, but punishment for eternity. But Jesus suffered that for me, and Mm -hmm. I'll never face it. Okay? Next week it is finished. And then one more. (laughs) He said it is finished, but there's one more saying after it is finished. He didn't say I am finished, okay? And we'll talk about that next week. He said it is finished. All right. You're dismissed.